Welcome to City Talk, a podcast from City View Church in Northern Virginia. City View is a church for all ages and all nations. We offer to everyone the hope, healing, and help that is found in Jesus Christ. This Sunday, we're looking at James chapter 1, 13 through 18, to find out how sin works. Sin is a scam, the worst in history. We're talking about why we fall for its deception and how we can fight back. Today is Sunday, tomorrow is Monday, and most of you will go into work. Let's say you go into work there. I've just ruined your day already. You go into work, you pop open your email, and it says, Hello, my name is so-and-so. I am a prince in Nigeria, and I have a million dollars that I would like to put in. See, I see already the way you guys are laughing. You know it's a scam. This last summer, I got a phone call from someone claiming to be an agent with Border Patrol in El Paso, and they gave me the case number they were with, and they saying, hey, listen, we intercepted a package from Mexico to your address, and it had drugs in it. Uh, can you just confirm your address for me? It's a scam. You just know it. But you know, the scammiest scam of all is sin and its deceptions. There are some things that we talk about, like, like these calls I've just mentioned, that are like, it's easy to tell this is a scam. But sin is very deceptive, and it is the greatest scam in all of history. And we fall for it way too often. It's been said by others that sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. So what do we do about it? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would guide us as we look into your word today. Lord, sin is real. It is serious. I pray that we would be a deep people who take it seriously, but also experience the victory that you have to offer over sin. So Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts and our minds today, that we would take another step towards you and experience victory in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray, amen. We are starting a series in the book of James. It's a small book towards the end of the New Testament. It's one of the earliest books in the New Testament written, and James is the brother of Jesus. In this book of James, it's really all about relationships, except the first chapter has to do with kind of a a self-check, a self-health assessment, if you will. Because in order for us to be a part of healthy relationships, we need to have some health ourselves. So last week we talked about uh, trials and hardships, and trials and hardships come from the outside, and they test our faith. And today we're going to look at something else, and that is sin in our lives, because sin in our lives affects the way we relate with people, so we need to deal with sin. So if you're in the book of James, I'm in chapter 1. You can open your Bibles or you can open your phones, whatever you're looking on. James chapter 1, we'll start in verse 13. So by the time people have gone through the first 12 verses, which we talked about last week, they'll be thinking, well, God is letting all this stuff happen, so he's also letting the sin happen. And that's when James says, no, 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 no. Let's set the record straight here. Verse 13 starts like this. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. That's crystal clear. Verse 14 
starts and gives us an anatomy of sin. And you'd think we really wouldn't need to study this because we're all experts at sinning. Verse 14 says this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So you've got sin, you've got temptation, you've got all that mixed up in there. And here's three things right off the bat we want to get straight. First of all, temptation happens to all of us. Every human being gets tempted. None of us can say we're impervious to it. None of us can say we're, we're sinless. And, you know, I know sometimes in Sunday we like to have our Sunday best on, if you will. But the fact is sin comes very naturally and very easy to us, and all of us are tempted. Now remember, second thing, being tempted is not a sin. Being tempted in and of itself is not a sin. Jesus himself was tempted. That's Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Jesus was tempted, but he never sinned. And then the third thing, succumbing to temptation and acting on it, that's when it turns into sin. So there's a progression in there. Temptation happens to all of us. It's part of being human. We don't have to cave to it, but when we cave to it, that's when it's sin. So what is sin? You know, it can be one of those churchy concepts. Sin can be what they do. It's what people who are worse than me do. But that's not the standard God uses. Sin is an action or a habit that is contrary to God's way. It's something that God says, this is not how you shall live, and then we go right there and go for it. That's sin. I remember my uh, youngest son, a few years ago, uh, Karen had made some uh, cookies or something like that, and there was a bowl of powdered sugar, you know, the confectioner sugar that it, it just go all over the place, and said, Ben, uh, don't, don't touch the sugar. You know, now, how many of you have kids that you would trust to not touch the sugar? Well, true to form, I turned up in the room, and Ben was coated with sugar. I mean, not only, he didn't, like, just take a spoon and get it. I mean, he put his face in it like that. And then he had the audacity to say, oh, no, no, I wasn't in the sugar. And it's like, dude, the evidence is now all over Instagram, okay? You, uh, you were into the sugar. He succumbed to the temptation. So God tells us, this is how you're to live. And it's not because God is mean or putting nasty restrictions on us, but he's just saying, if you do the things that I tell you not to do, it's like putting orange juice into your car engine. It's not going to go well. There's a reason the rule book, the manual says, put this type of oil in your car so your car will run well. God says, I want you to live this way so your life will go well. So a sin is an action or a habit contrary to God's way. It misses the mark of God's goodness. But another angle on sin is that sin is this innate leaning away from God that all of us have inside us. It is that natural thing that we have as human beings in which we say, I want to do my own thing. 
it's like God says, do this, and it's almost like a reflex reaction. I'm going to do that. We have that natural bent inside us. Sin within, some parts of the Bible will call it, it's just part of being human. And this is the result of the fall. Now, when you hear the term fall in the church, or we're talking about an actual event, it's recorded in Genesis chapter 3, where uh, sin entered into the world, Satan came, the serpent came and tempted Eve and Adam, and they did what they were not supposed to do. That's when sin entered into the world. Book of Romans in chapter 5 amplifies that and says, sin came into the world through one man, and then death passed upon all of us. All of us are sinners. King David, when he's confessing a sin in Scripture, in Psalm 51 says, I was born in sin. And that's a truth about every one of us as human beings. We are born sinful. Humans are not born with a clean slate, and then, oh, later on in life we sin, and that makes us sinners. No, we're, we're born sinners. That's just the way we are. We have this innate leaning in us to go against what God has to say. So what causes us to sin? It's this sinful nature inside us that causes us to lean away from God. And it fuels desires that are contrary to what God has to say. That's what the message is in James chapter 1. It said, yeah, trials and hardships come from the outside, but sin comes from within. Don't blame God. Don't blame other people for the choices that you make. Because that's when you bring sin to fruition. So let me read verses 14 and 15 again. This is the anatomy of a sin. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So in everyday language, this is what happens. We're going along life, and temptation flits across our mind, our eyes, whatever the source of temptation might be. It could be a sexual temptation. It could be a financial temptation. It could be temptation to say a lie. There's all kinds of temptations out there. But the thought flits across your mind. And when that thought flits across your mind, that's not sin. That's the temptation. The problem is we start flirting with that temptation. When you start entertaining the thought of acting on it, that's when it morphs from being a temptation that you're not responsible for to you're starting to own it. You start flirting with the temptation. You start falling for the scam. You start believing this prince who says he's from Nigeria and wants to give you a lot of money. And then next, it says our desires carry us away and entice us. And see, and here's the thing. We're all susceptible to different things. Different temptations may hold sway stronger to person A than they do person B. So right off the bat, when you see someone else fall, or as you see someone else sin, don't look down your nose at them and say, how on earth could they do that? I wouldn't fall for that. Well, maybe you wouldn't fall for that sin, but 
you fall for something else, something else that you don't want other people to know about. We need a spirit of humility in recognizing that sin is a challenge that all of us face. We need to know our weaknesses, too. Know where you're susceptible. Maybe there are certain things you've struggled with in the past, and you say, you know, I need to really take extra care that I don't step into this again. Know where we're weak. Know where we struggle. Because I can guarantee you the enemy of our souls does know. And he will fan into flame anything he can to distract us and take us away from God. Verse 15 says, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. It can go very quickly from temptation to sin, or it might be a long process. But the end is never good. Sin accomplishes its mission when we choose to go beyond flirting with that temptation and to act on it. And then the problem with sin is it's never satisfied by itself. Sin never says, okay, this is cool. I got him to lie this one time. The habit starts building up because we start thinking, whoa, I got away with that lie. Maybe I can try it again. And then again. And then again. And that, that sin becomes a habit. That habit becomes a way of life. And it leads to death and destruction. Sin is serious, and it's a progression that we need to be aware of. Sin will often start small. Oh, it's no big deal. It's just a white lie, however we choose to justify it. But sin has serious consequences. Death settles in. Now, in the notes, I've given you three examples. We'll look at one of them today in uh, Proverbs chapter 7 about the unwise young man. But there are two other temptations that I put in the notes that you can look at in the life group this week. And both of them, though, are kind of unique. The first one is the account of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And that's where the serpent directly tempts people. It wasn't sin within because Adam and Eve had no sin. And then the other example I give you is when Jesus is tempted in Luke chapter 4. And, well, Jesus is perfect. He didn't have sin within. So it's Satan tempting. But the tactics are just the same that we deal with in facing temptation. So I'd encourage you to look over in those accounts. The book of Proverbs in chapter 7 gives the example of an unwise man, an unwise young man. When you think of Proverbs, Proverbs is essentially a father putting his arm around the shoulder of his adolescent teenage sons, saying, guys, here's how to live. Learn from some of the mistakes I've made. Learn from what God has to say. That's the spirit behind Proverbs. And Proverbs chapter 7, the account is given of a young man who is unwise, and he falls to temptation. The temptation in this case is sexual temptation, but don't just limit, when you look at this passage, don't just limit your thoughts to that. You could change the characters, and the temptation could be money, it could be lying, it could be success, whatever it might be. But in this case, it's a sexual temptation. It starts off in verse 6, and I'm just going to kind of skip through some of these things. Well, I was at the window of my house, looking through the curtain. I saw some naive young men, and one in particular, who 
lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. It was twilight in the evening as deep darkness fell. Now, when you read this account here, it's like, what could possibly go wrong here? Let's put ourselves right where temptation, ought, where temptation exists. I mean, when you look at this, it's almost comical at how stupid and naive it is. Let's go right where temptation is and see if we can withstand it. The fool allows himself to be placed where he can sin easily. The fool skates as close to the edge as he can. Verse 10, it says, the woman approached him, seductively dressed. She knew what she wanted. She threw her arms around him and kissed him, and with a brazen look, she said, you're here, the one I was looking for. I came out to find you, and here you are. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. Verse 22, and he followed her at once. That's when it changed from temptation to sin. He acted on the temptation. And he followed her at once. The die is cast. The decision is made. And it goes from temptation to sin. Now, Hollywood ends the story here. They went off together, and they had the time of their lives, and that's it. But Hollywood is not reality. The Bible paints a better picture of reality, a more accurate picture. And in verse 22, it picks up. It says, as he goes and as he followed her, he went like an ox going to the slaughter, like a stag caught in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. I wonder if James actually had this passage in mind because it's remarkable how all the elements in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 are caught up in this account. It's almost like he took Proverbs chapter 7 and distilled it into just a couple of verses. He's saying, folks, if you want to be healthy in yourself, don't succumb to temptation. If you want to be healthy so that you can enjoy healthy relationships and good community, don't succumb to temptation because temptation kills. Now, a lot of us may be thinking, I've sinned and I'm still here. I'm alive. But there are many aspects to death that are carried in these passages. It could be the death of a relationship. Some sin ultimately will lead to physical death. We know that it leads us to separation from God. That's death. But sin kills all kinds of things, and it's really serious. And we need to take it seriously. James 1, 15, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So temptation and sin are powerful. If they're that powerful, what hope do we have? And we're going to see it in the next few verses in James. So let's continue along and pick up in verse 16. James 1, verse 16 says this, Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be kind of a first fruits of his creatures. A couple things really jump out right off the bat in this passage. First, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by the scam. Don't be deceived. Don't believe the lie. Second thing is that we've seen that sin is destructive and it kills and it destroys. Whereas we see in this passage that God is the giver of life and health. The contrast is right there between God's way and our natural way. The only wise choice is to choose God's. Doing things God's way is life-giving. So how do we fight sin and temptation? First thing is what it says in verse 16. Stop believing the false promises of sin. See it for the scam that it is. Don't be deceived. Sin always holds itself out and says, you're going to love this. Go back to the fall in, um, in Genesis chapter 3. The fruit is held out. It's going to be good. It's really good. You're going to love it. Not only are you going to love it, it's going to make your life better. And Adam and Eve believed and were deceived. Don't be deceived by the temporary dopamine hit that sin will promise you. Because sin will always under-deliver. And it will give you exactly what you don't want. See it for the scam it is. And I think related to that, we need to remove temptations that are around us. If you are struggling with a diet you're on, it's a bad idea to have your your freezer stocked with all kinds of ice cream when you know you shouldn't be eating it. You know, don't put temptation near you. Just like the unwise young man in Proverbs chapter 7. It's like, dude, what are you doing in that part of the town at that time of day? You're putting yourself right where you can get tempted. So to the degree possible that you can, remove the temptations from your life, the things that you can control. Now, we recognize that in the world we live in, we're bombarded with all kinds of things, and there are some things you can't control. But don't put yourself in a position where all you have to do is take one little step, and you've committed the sin. Do what you can to avoid it. And you know, something I found very helpful, years ago I heard someone say this, we need to halt temptation. And that is we recognize that we are most susceptible to temptation when we are hungry, when we are angry, when we're lonely, and when we're tired. Because we're body, soul, and spirit, all bound up together. And if our body is angry and grumpy because it's hungry um, or or tired, we're not going to be thinking straight, and we're not going to be as strong when the temptation comes. That leaves you in trouble. We can get more susceptible to temptation when we're lonely. Sometimes when we're lonely off by ourselves, our minds start going into overdrive, and then we start 
being really susceptible to lies. We fuel the lies. And we believe things that when we're thinking straight, we say, what on earth was I thinking? Angry, well, none of us think straight when we're angry. You get cut off in traffic, you're in a bad mood, and you, you, you take it out on your coworkers when you get there, or maybe when you're coming home, you know, you, you yell at your wife, you kick the dog, or however that sequence goes, you know, that we all naturally do it. But that affects us. So we need to halt temptation and just know that when we're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, we're more susceptible. We need to know ourselves that way. And when we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, try to do the best we can so that we minimize damage to ourselves and other people around us. I think another thing we can do to battle sin is found in verse uh, 17. Believe that God truly gives the good things in life. You know, I think it's no accident that right after talking about sin, it talks about the goodness of God. Because sin, when we act on it, is quite frankly us following temptations which say, you'll get such and such if you do that. You want to get rich so you have the security and the happiness that you deserve, then do this. If you want relationship, then go look at the porn or whatever is being held out there. God wants us to see him in his goodness. Because so often, we fall, to, we fall to the temptation because we think, well, God's not giving that to me. I may as well take matters into my own hands. And when we as a people worship God for who he is and are fully confident that he is perfectly good, that he loves us more than we can imagine, and he desires to give us good things, well, then we can be confident in saying, God, there must be a reason you haven't given this to me yet. God, there must be a reason that you haven't given this to me because I know you will withhold no good thing. Us falling to temptation and sinning very often is us saying, God's let me down. I need to find this, whatever this is, on my own, on my own terms. And that will never end well. When God says, will you trust me, see me for who I am, and recognize that I will give you every good thing in my time, in my way, that is ultimately best for you. So we fight sin and temptation really by worshiping God, by seeing him as great as he is, and saying, I'm confident. This may not be the way. The way things are going for me right now may not be what I had planned. They weren't part of the script that I had written. But I trust that God's got it. And he's going to write a far better script than I could ever come up with on my own. And then further on in James, in chapter 4, I want you to turn there. In James chapter 4, it says this. James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Which is really reiterating what it said in chapter 1. Humble ourselves and draw near to God. So, when it comes to fighting temptation... 
On the one hand, we want to push it away. We deny it. We want to say, avoid temptation. But living a holy, living a good life is more than just not sinning. Living a holy life is choosing not to sin, but also then choosing to do what is right and what is good. And God blesses that. When we are humble before God, that's when he pours out his grace on us. That's when he works in us and through us in ways that we wouldn't have dreamt possible, in ways that are far better than we could have ever figured out by ourselves. So how do we fight sin and temptation? We see it for the scam that it is. Don't fall for its deception. To the extent possible, remove sources of temptation from your life. The world is going to throw enough at you. So why give the world a head start? I think believe that God is good and that he is great. Believe that he truly can use all things for good for those who love him. We need to believe that. Then we need to humble ourselves and draw near to God. Pride will get us into trouble. Pride is sin in and of itself, and it's like a gateway sin. It'll lead us into many more. We need to be humble before God. So we've got this thing, sin, we've got temptation, we want to avoid. What do we do with all this? First of all, before you fight sin, the most important thing you can do is have your sin forgiven. Our sin is forgiven when we come to Jesus Christ. For faith. You see, Jesus Christ is the only one who never sinned. He lived a perfect life. And because he lived a perfect life, he didn't have to pay the penalty for sin that you and I did. He didn't have to die. But he loves us so much that he chose to give his life in our place to pay that penalty for our sin that we could never pay by ourselves. Trying to overcome our sin by doing good things, giving money to the poor, going to church, whatever it might be, that's not good. That's not enough to deal with the sin. Our sin is forgiven when we recognize, oh Lord, I'm sinful to the core of my being. I have a natural tendency to go away from you. And I believe that Jesus died in my place and he rose again from the dead. And I'm clinging to him. I'm repenting of the way I used to live and I'm turning towards him. When the Bible says, you, when the Bible, will you do that? The Bible says you've passed from death unto life. And your sin is forgiven. Your sin, the penalty of your sin is sorted out forever. And then when you make that decision, you receive Jesus Christ, God says, I will take up residence in you through my Holy Spirit. And I will empower you to live a holy life when you call on me. When you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, then you are his child. And as we go through life, we have to be wise and recognize that sin is still out there and we need to take it seriously. As I said earlier, this is a well-known quote, sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. In Genesis chapter 4, it says sin is crouching at the door, just waiting to take over. Sin is always going to be there. As long as we are in these bodies, in this world, Sin is going to try to take advantage of us. But we need to be killing sin or it'll be killing us. 
don't believe sin's lies. Sin will lie to you through temptation. Just do this, just take this, then you'll be happy. And then once you fall to it, sin will lie to you and say, you're such a loser, you ought to just stay wallowing in this sin. That's a lie too. Don't believe it. Sin will, give you, will promise you fake happiness, and then when it gets you, sin will say, you're stuck, you have no hope. That is not true. You always have hope in Jesus. You always have hope. Don't believe that lie that once you mess up, you're done. When we mess up, we fess up, we get right with God, and we get right with those we've offended, and then we go on. Don't believe sin's lies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says that there's no temptation that has happened to you that isn't common to others. All of us are tempted and tested. Satan would love for you to think that you're the only one that struggles with this issue. Satan would love for you to think, if my friends knew that I was dealing, if the people at church knew that I was dealing with this, and he can have a heyday when people in church just look at the back of each other's heads and have no real connection. But when you get to know one another and you have fellowship, you can pray for one another, you can put an arm around each other's shoulder, and you can say, I'll walk with you through this. That's the body of Christ at work together. All of us are tempted. I love the realness of the Bible. In the book of 1 John, we won't go there right now, but it says, if anyone thinks he doesn't sin, he deceives himself. So anybody, any Christian that tries to act holier than thou has missed the whole point. The only way you can be a Christian is to recognize that you're not good enough to meet God's standards and that you had to get Jesus extra credit, if you will, to do it for you. There should be a humility and a graciousness with one another. And that when we stumble and fall, we don't kick one another when we're down. We help each other along. We pick each other up. It is the will of God that we live holy lives and not be bound by sin. It's the will of God that we live holy lives, not because he wants us to be nasty or, or anything like that. But he wants us to live holy lives so that we live life as it was attended, intended to be. He wants us to live holy lives so that we can have healthy friendships with one another that are a testimony to the world around us that will look at us and say, they've got something I want. Real holiness is not holier than thou or anything like that. Real holiness is making wise choices but also having a humility that when others mess up, you don't kick them when they're down or you don't think, ah, I'm better than them. We need to be alert. Sin is dangerous. Temptations are all around us. We're our own worst enemy. But God has given us what we need. And so for all of us, let's be the people that are so obsessed with God's greatness and goodness that we can blow right past temptation. Let's be so obsessed with God's goodness and God's greatness that we love to talk to one another about it. That's great fellowship. Let's be obsessed with God's goodness and greatness so that you can't keep us quiet when we're out in the world. That's evangelism. Happens very naturally from the overflow. 
So let's be obsessed with God for who he is and worship him in the splendor of his goodness and his greatness. And then he's going to give us the victory over the temptation that all of us face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be a people who are obsessed with you and your goodness and your greatness, that we recognize that you are the giver of all good gifts. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to fall into temptation. I pray that you would help us to live wisely. And then, Lord, as we uh, avoid temptation, we also do the right thing, and we follow you closely. Lord, I pray that we would be the safest place for people to heal and to grow strong and to walk with you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who has not yet received Jesus Christ as Savior, that today will be the day they place their faith in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.